the ChrisCast is recorded live in front of no audience. Hello everyone and welcome to the ChrisCast. I'm your host Chris and joining me through the Spotify for Podcasters app is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hey, I was waiting for you to like stumble through that again. I'm, I have to think of the name because that's a long name and it's not an easy one to really remember. Yeah. So it's not like Anchor. Anchor was simple and easy. This is Spotify for podcasters. Spotify. They didn't just do Anchor and then have it like buy Spotify. No, they had to do Spotify for podcasters and change it all up. But of course they did. Anyway, you ready for some food news? I don't have. I really don't have much news at all this week. So. I got two food articles. Go ahead. Well, the first one is from the Today Show. These mesmerizing new marshmallows change color when you toast them. On April 25th, Jet Puff, the brand responsible for such spongy confections as red and green holiday mallows and candy corn marshmallows, have launched a new type of marshmallow that changes color when heated. The new first-of-its-kind squishy chameleonic treat is called Jet Puffed Color-Changing Marshmallows. I don't know how I feel about that. They, they come in orange and green, and I'm trying to see if it says... Well, this is also different than... Because the picture that I'm going to show Paul... The picture clearly shows orange and green marshmallows. Yeah. Those are definitely orange and green. And this article says, Get Puff says, confections will transform right before our eyes as the treats change color. While our marshmallows achieve that deliciously delectable caramelized crunch thanks to the Maillard reaction, these color-changing treats have an additional reaction that starts approximately 10 seconds after heating them up. Once fire or the microwave or blow dryer or any heat source really hits the marshmallow, the blue marshmallow will turn green and the pink marshmallow will turn orange. So I guess these marshmallows they have are the finished product, but they're in the bag as if they're the original product. So they okay. go from blue to orange to green, apparently. Okay. Number one, why do we need color-changing marshmallows? Why not? Number two, that's just more chemicals. Because it takes chemicals for it to change colors like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't I don't like that. Number three, are they filled with gelatin? Because I won't eat them. I think it's going to be a hard pass on me because that's just like regular white marshmallows. Well, now this says, this is also from the article, while these marshmallows are Jet Puff's first foray into the land of color-changing food, the candy does join a select few foods that utilize this neat little trick. Anyone who's, who has been on beverage TikTok has seen butterfly pea flower tea change as if by magic from a deep blue color to a bright violet hue when an acidic liquid like lemon juice is added to it. 
So those are natural occurring color changing chemicals. I can see that, but so I don't know what the the chemicals to change the marshmallows are, but it could be naturally occurring. They could have just simply added vitamin C to it to make it change color. I don't know. <clears throat> it also says, in addition, sun butter cookies made with sunflower seed butter are known to change color from brown to a deep grassy green, though this change happens as the cookies cool. Now, I remember many, many, many years ago, and I don't even know if they still make it, but do you remember the Great Blue Dini Kool-Aid? No. It changed colors with ice. I don't know if Houdini is still available. I'm trying to look for that, but I know it's one article in the 80s, food of the 80s, great Houdini Kool-Aid on Google. Let's see. Is it just seven retired cooling flavors came up? And for whatever reason, the article won't come up. I can't think of any color changing food now that I'm thinking about it. Well, that's the only thing that I could think of. That I can, you know, that I can remember. Even going back as a kid, I don't remember any color-changing food. Apparently, Great Blue Dini Kool-Aid made a return about 2014 from what I'm picking up on here. Because Instacart has Kool-Aid Great Blue Dini Unsweetened Drink Mix. Get Kool-Aid Great Blue Dini Unsweetened Drink Mix delivered to you in as fast as one hour via Instacart or choose curbside or in-store pickup. So apparently it's back on the shelves. So explain to me what that is. It was, it changed from one color to another when you put ice in it or cold, made it cold. And I can't remember what the colors were. I'm trying to see, maybe there's a Wikipedia page on here. Went from yellow to blue to green. Let's see. This Kool-Aid had an oct this is from in the 80s.com. This Kool-Aid had an octopus on the front with the top hat on. It was green powder, but it changed to bright blue when it hit water. Not sure when this went away. 90s, I believe, but OMG, it was so good. My favorite of all time. I've even written to Kool-Aid to bring it back, but no luck. And I don't was it like a it. berry taste or a strawberry or? Well, the first reply was May 30th, 2007. So, yeah, I wrote Kraft to see if they could tell me what the dealio on the Great Ludini while they were at it. Could they tell me what happened to Purple Saurus Rex and Pink Swamingo? They Kool Aid around today is so blah. All of these flavors were fab. My mom used to pour it in those make-your-own popsicle dealies, and all the kids on the block were happy. 
Yeah, that's that's a road scholar there from Jane. Sorry, but I'm, I don't see a flavor. My favorite Kool Aid when I was growing up was either fruit punch or grape. That's the two that I liked. See, I was never big on Kool Aid at all, regardless. People also ask what flavor was Great Blue Dini Kool Aid. This sachet of Great Blue Dini fruit punch flavored Kool Aid powdered drink mix provides a quick and easy way to make a tasty drink with plenty to go around. So it was fruit punch flavor. Now, does Kool Aid, Kool Aid used to have like vitamin C in it? Does it still have vitamin C in it? I honestly, I don't know. I don't. I have not drunk Kool-Aid in probably 30 years. Yeah. Not willingly or knowingly anyways. But that the, the fruit punch flavor is a good segue into this next one from foodbusinessnews.net. Kellogg debuts Icy Cereal. Icy cereal. <clears throat> According to the companies, the cereal is inspired by Icy's cherry and blue raspberry flavors and uses an innovative ingredient that cools consumers' mouths as they eat. The process, the companies claim, imitates that familiar and refreshing first sip of an Icy. Kellogg's Icy cereal is available at retailers nationwide beginning in April. For a suggested retail price of $5.29 for an 8.3-ounce box and $6.49 for a 13.2-ounce box. So you can get you some icy cereal. I'll pass. <laughs> I would try it. I'm just not going to seek it out. Watch but that, was all, that was all the food that I saw this week that was interesting Watch to me. Did you have any food news? Um, what's your favorite cereal? Golden Grams. Really? Yep. Mine is either Fruity Pebbles or just plain cornflakes or um, <clears throat> Booberry when it comes out at Halloween. Well, see, Booberry is good, but it's got marshmallows in it with gelatin, so I can't eat it. Frankenberry and Ch Count Chocula, I felt the same way. I like the Booberry the best of them, but. Uh, I can't eat any of them. Lucky Charms, can't eat. I, I do eat pretty much anything from Big G cereals and have for a long time. And, you know, they've got the whole grain fiber in it. So yeah. I do like them. The Reese's Puffs are really good. Silly Rabbit Tricks aren't just for kids. I eat them all the time. Mm. And... Now, do you ever eat cereal dry or, you know, just like as a snack? I'm not a big dry cereal eater. Now, I like eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch without milk. I've tried Cinnamon Toast Crunch and did not like it. Oh, I love it. That was one of the few Big G cereals that I absolutely hated. And I also do honey... Um, Honey, honey nut Cheerios. Honey nut Cheerios. I like honey nut Cheerios. 
I've got a bunch of little beanie babies of the serial characters that I got years and years ago somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where they're at, but I do have them because I had like Sunny Bird, and I had I'm pretty sure I had Lucky, and I had from Honey Nut Cheerios, and I don't remember who else I had, but I had a bunch of them. I still got my beanie, beanie babies from years ago. I didn't get a lot of beanie babies, but those I did, and they weren't actually beanie babies. They were done through General Mills cereal, but yeah. But with that, I do have a new product that I want to talk about that will pique your interest, I'm sure. Well, what is that? This is from BoardGameGeek.com. There's a new board game coming out. First of its kind ever based on the movie Halloween. Ooh, really? Play as Michael Myers and stalk the other players in this hidden movement game. <clears throat> Description. The first board game based on the original classic horror movie Halloween. In this one, in this one versus many game, most of the players will run around the board searching through houses for useful items and for the kids, Tommy and Lindsay. They can win the game by either causing enough damage to Michael Myers or by finding <clears throat> Tommy and Lindsay and a set of car keys so they can escape to safety. Meanwhile, the player controlling Michael Myers will him, and because he is only visible when someone is looking directly at him, he will be an ever-present danger throughout the game. The Myers player can win by killing enough characters or by preventing the players from escaping for long enough. If a player's character is killed, they lose anything they're carrying, but will come on the board with the new character from the movie. That actually sounds pretty cool. It does. Uh, Me and you and Lamar need to get together and play that. <laughs> I don't see a suggested price on here, but I'm sure it's going to be 40 to 50 bucks easily. Now, is there a PG rating on it or not? Uh, two to four players, community no votes, 30 to 60 minute playing time, age 14 and up. That's what I was thinking because of it, you know, killing people and stuff. And there's no listings on, under shopping on the site. So I, I don't know how much it's going to be, but like I said, I'd say easily 40 or 50 bucks. Who put it out? Um, publisher Trick or Treat Studios. Hmm. Never heard of them. There's a lot of board game makers that I've only heard of because I've seen the games, not because I've heard them. Like, you know Hasbro and, and things like that, but you don't know like some of these things. I saw, that, Hasbro, I saw where Hasbro was teaming up with someone. Teaming up there with was, someone? Hasbro Mattel, I think it is. I want to say they were mashing up things. Yeah. Hasbro Pulse Team Up Series from HasbroPulse.com. Let's pull this up. We are teaming up with iconic brands 
to bring you the most epic product crossovers and mashup of figures and collectibles and more. But I was I was thinking I was chatting with one of my friends that owns a toy store and he said how neat would it would become if they would have a, a He Man Transformer. Mattel and Hasbro. This is from the nerdy.com because the has Hasbro Pulse site didn't tell me any. Started listing products. Mattel and this is from the nerdy.com April 24th. Mattel and Hasbro have announced that they will be partnering up in support of their upcoming films this summer. This summer, both Hasbro and Mattel will have new feature theaters. Hasbro will be releasing Transformers Rise of the Beasts, and Mattel will be releasing Barbie. The two companies, which normally do not share properties, are going to produce products based on each other's films. Hasbro has announced that it will be releasing a Barbie-themed edition of Monopoly. Over at Mattel, the company will release a Transformers-themed deck of its Uno card game, as well as some Hot Wheels cars based on the popular franchise. But again, it's not saying what the crossovers are actually going to be. My dream is have a He-Man Transformer. Does Mattel make Monopoly and Hasbro make Uno, or do you know? I think I think Mattel makes Monopoly. Ian Hasbro is in Uno. Yeah, that's right. So that would be the crossover there, because <sighs> the way it reads, it doesn't say. It just says Hasbro has announced that it will be releasing a Barbie-themed edition of Monopoly. Over at Mattel, the company will release a Transformers-themed deck of its Uno card game, as well as some Hot Wheels based the Hot Wheels cars based on the popular franchise. And I know. Mattel is Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels, so there's no crossover there if they're going yeah. on transformers. But, but, anyways, those are the two mashing up together. And with that, we'll go into entertainment. First up, this was a tweet from Aerosmith. Peace out. After 50 years, 10 world tours, and playing for over 100 million fans. It's time for one last go. Peace out. Aerosmith farewell tour with special guest the Black Crows. Oh, that'll be a good tour. Uh, cities they're hitting Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Elmont, New York, Toronto, Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, Ohio, Raleigh, North Kakalaki, Washington, really? D. Tampa, Atlanta, Charlotte, Sunrise, Florida, Austin, St. Louis, Missouri, Indianapolis, San Antonio, Tulsa, Dallas, and Omaha, Nebraska. No, I would love to go see that show. Oh, this goes on. St. Paul, Kansas City, Denver, Salt Lake City, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, San Jose, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Newark, New Jersey, Boston, Cincinnati, Louisville, Nashville, Knoxville, Buffalo, New York, New York, Columbus, Ohio, and Montreal, Quebec for the final show, it looks like. So, Raleigh is set for September 24th. Then Charlotte is October 17th. which It's an odd schedule because they go from Raleigh on September 24th to D.C. on September 27th. 
all the way down to Tampa on October 11th, back up to Atlanta on October 14th, and then to Charlotte on October 17th, then back down to Sunrise, Florida on October 20th. Yeah, don't make a lot of sense. Now, if it's anything that that I've been watching on TikTok, um, there's some people putting up the fast forwarding, uh, like videos of Taylor Swift stage being made for her shows. You would not believe the labor it goes into building those stages for her shows, for her era's tour. It takes weeks to build those stages. Well, and by the same token, they probably have multiple pieces. Oh, yeah. What I'm saying is they probably have like locations. a crew doing here, another crew putting this one up, and another crew putting this one up. Then this one performs here. Then they're disassembling here and taking it here. I mean, damn. Her, and, her and that's what people have to remember, too, is that when these tickets, they're not just paying for these singers. They're paying for the band. They're paying for the dancers if they use any. They're paying for the electricians. They're paying for the the grips. They're paying for the lighting. They're paying for the maintenance. The, and the use of the building. Yep. So there's a lot goes into it. You you gotta weigh the cost of everything and. If you want a big elaborate show, it's gonna pop. As Paul is all snotty with allergies. Sorry, I'm having an allergy meltdown here, and it's bad, y'all. It's I wanted to hurry up and fast forward to fall. Well, from a group of singers doing their last tour, I've got a fun article about a first lady on stage singing. Did you see this? Uh, no. This is from Entertainment Weekly. Watch Michelle Obama sing back up and play tambourine for Bruce Springsteen at a concert in Spain. Oh, that's cool. It says, Michelle Obama, honorary member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band? At least she was this week when she joined the boss on stage during his April 28th concert in Barcelona for a performance of Glory Days. Obama sang backup vocals and played tambourine alongside former actress Kate Capshaw, wife of filmmaker Steven Spielberg, and Patty Schialfa, East Street member and wife of Springsteen. Former First Lady and her husband, Barack Obama, were in Spain with Spielberg and Capshaw and spent the day sightseeing ahead of Springsteen's concert at I'm not sure how you say it. It's L-L-U-I-S, Companies Olympic Stadium, on Friday night. Obama, Spielberg, and Springsteen dined at the Amar restaurant in the Palace Hotel the night before the concert and even posed for a photo with staff for Reuters reports. <clears throat> so it seems like they were not only having fun, but paying back to the staff of the hotel. So, Oh, yeah. But you know what I love about this? And Bruce Springsteen has been very open about his political stance for quite a while. Even 
canceling shows in North Carolina because of Hate Bill 2. And the the people who love his Born in the USA because it's so patriotic, as they say, even though they don't get the lyrics of it, they're now going to be torn. Can they still like Born in the USA when Michelle Obama was singing with him? Heads are going to explode, and I love it. Republicans just need to figure out who they're going to hate. I mean, what they're going to hate. I mean, they've become the party of hate. They really have. Well, they need um, to stop calling themselves Christians. They are. They need Jesus to. Did not teach hate. Jesus did not hate anyone. Jesus did not look down on anyone. Jesus accepted everyone equally and openly. Yeah. And that's the thing they forget. Like, this whole anti-woke movement, I keep pointing out, there is no one on this earth ever to have been more woke than Jesus. And they, and plus he was brown, you know? Yeah. Don't you dare call him brown. He was white. Yeah, whatever. Facts be damned, you know. But no, I I saw that and I was like, you know, that would have probably been a lot of fun. So I'm going to have to watch the video later. I haven't watched it yet, but I've loved Bruce Springsteen since I first heard uh, Dancing in the Dark. That was where I caught on to him. Been a fan ever since. I haven't liked everything he's done, but even his bad stuff I would prefer to a lot of artists, including, say, Taylor Swift, Mariah Carey. Give me Bruce Springsteen's worst over them. How dare you talk ill about Taylor? I talk plenty good about her. But her music sucks. I've always said that. Well, I'm glad she's success because she's wonderful and does great things with her money. But it's not going to make me like her music anymore than I do before. Billions of people think you're wrong. Well, millions of people think a lot of things that are wrong. So let me just point out, millions of people voted for Trump. Okay. I want to give you a hypothetical here. You have to go see a concert. Is it Mariah or Taylor Swift? But you have to see one of them. I'm gouging my ears and eyes out before. No, you have to see one. You have to. Which one is it? Okay, then I'm just gouging my ears out. You got to go to one. Which one are you going to? Well, it sure ain't going to be Mariah. Because just hearing her voice angers me. Oh, Chris, you'll never do. I'm just being honest. You want me to lie? You know what's coming up in October, don't you? Halloween. October 31st, right off the midnight of October 31st. That'd be November 1st. Sorry, but it's no longer October at that point. Anyways, November 1st, the stroke of midnight at 1201. Not on the Mariah Carey puts out a TikTok every year at that exact same moment, launching All I Want for Christmas is You. Because she's a whore. <laughs> she's got to pimp out that music. You know how much money she made this past Christmas of that one song? Too damn. Because people are idiots, and that just proves it right there. 
<laughs> she made sixty million dollars. Sixty million dollars this past Christmas. Well, it's like I said, there's no accounting for taste because Shazam Fury of the Gods, which is getting good reviews from the people who are fans going to see it, while getting terrible reviews from critics, didn't make $100 million in the U.S. I don't even know how much it made worldwide right offhand. But Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was a terrible movie, panned by critics and fans alike, made well over $200 million worldwide, I know. It made over $100 million in the U.S. Well, you know what's coming up this weekend. What, Guardians? Guardians is coming out. And that's probably going to be a huge movie. Well, I'm just, I'm hoping, because James Gunn is, it's his last movie with Marvel, and I'm hoping that he keeps the same quality that he's had all along. But quite honestly, Marvel films have really been suffering here of late. Like, the last few offerings do not make me want to buy a ticket for anything they do. And that being said, I want to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I want to see the Marvels. I wanted to see Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I was so glad that I did not pay for it. I saw where, um, well, I read an article where um, Dave Bautista doesn't want to play that character anymore. Well, quite honestly, he'll probably move to DC if he does anything. He did. I did see that he said that's not the end for Drax, but I don't know what they have going on with him. So, yeah. So we'll see. But, but like I said, I I wish them well. I want them to be successful. I want DC to be successful. I want them to provide ample competition for each other, and. I've heard people say, oh, I wish that Marvel would buy out DC. No, you don't. And for those who don't believe me, go back to the 90s. Look at the wrestling war when WCW was owned by Ted Turner and and then Warner Brothers when they absorbed Ted Turner. And the WWF at the time was owned by Vince McMahon. Then watch as time went on how how much they were competition for each other. And then as time went on and Vince McMahon bought WCW because Warner did not know what they had and didn't want it. Look at the product after that, which is why wrestling is so bad today. Yeah. You've got to have competition, legitimate competition to be better than. And for over 20 years, WWE had no legitimate competition, so there was no reason to make a better product. And it just, that's where we are. And now the competition's just as bad. Well, I saw um, something was on television, or maybe I saw on YouTube something. They had an interview with uh, Vince McMahon. <clears throat> he looks horrible. Well, have you seen, did you see him with the, the mustache or was it something else? I can't remember if he had a mustache or what, but he just had the deepest wrinkles and the terrible looking skin. It was just, he just did not look good at all. 
So time has not been. I do realize. I think he. I think the article that is, is the article. He was seventy six. Is that right? He's he's definitely up there. I'm not sure exactly how. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure the article said it's seventy six. But I wasn't thinking he was that old. Uh, he's definitely because I mean he was running the show back in the seventies. I mean his dad still owned it, but he was he is seventy seven years old according to Google. Seventy seven. Born August twenty fourth, nineteen forty five, in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Oh shit! Well, I didn't know that. Well, you learn something new. See, that's why people need to listen to my my podcast. Because you learn things on here. Huh. It's not just tomfoolery and shenanigans. There's some educational value. Tomfoolery and shenanigans. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we <laughs> shall move along now. The, the next one I've got is from The Hollywood Reporter. Gay U.S. Marine drama from Norman Lear. A go at Netflix. The Core is based on a memoir by Greg Cope White and will star Miles Heiser, Vera Farmiga, Max Parker, and Liam O. It says Netflix has greenlit a series which counts the legendary Norman Lear among its executive producers that will follow a gay teenager who enlists in the U.S. Marine Corps. The streamer has ordered 10 episodes of The Core, a drama that will follow Cameron Cope a bullied gay teen who joins the Marines with his straight best friend, Ray McAfee, in 1990. A pre-don't-ask-don't-tell era when being gay in the military could mean jail time or worse. The series comes from Sony Pictures Television and Lear's Sony-based Act 3 Productions and is inspired by Greg Cope White's memoir, The Pink Marine. And the Miles Heiser is playing Cameron Cope and Liam O is playing his best friend Ray McAfee. Says Vera Farmiga and Max Parker also star as respectively Cameron's mother and a Marine sergeant who sees himself in Cameron. Cast also includes Cedric Cooper, Anna Ayora, Angus O'Brien, Dominic Goodman, Kieran Moore, Nicholas Logan, Rico Paris, Blake Burt, Logan Gould, Zach Rurig, Jonathan Niez, Brandon Tyler Moore, Ivan Huey Jr. Anthony Marble and Joy Osmansky. So the only name attached to this, besides of course Norman Lear, that I know is Vera Farmiga, and of course Conjuring. Yeah, if you know who she is. But Norman Lear being a hundred years old and still producing quality television. <clears throat> wow. So, it, I mean, it really does sound like an interesting show. I will definitely watch it. I don't know when we'll get to see it because, of course, filming and editing and all that still have to take place. So it's a while down the road. But what do you think? Do you not think it sounds like an interesting story? It does. And it sounds like a drama. And I don't know if it says in this or not. Yeah, it does. It's a drama that will follow. It's, it's a drama from Norman Lear, which I'm not familiar with any of his dramas, if, if I know of them. I know his comedies, but don't know any dramas that he's done right offhand. So, 
definitely be looking forward to the core as it comes up. Next is from C21 Media. Village Roadshow develops Candid Camera Reboot with Taraji P. Henson and Peter Funt. This, I don't know if it's a good idea or not. I've never been the biggest Candid Camera fan. So I'd give it a try. They, they said there was one a few years back that Mayam Bialik hosted. And I don't remember that at all. I don't remember so, that. I don't know how this one's going to hit over. I know Betty Rockers off or Betty Betty White's off their rockers was on NBC and then moved to Lifetime. It was hilarious, and it was kind of the same thing. But <clears throat> you also had Betty White attached to it, which was a huge deal. Yeah, and in that one, it was old people that were making fun and and pulling pranks instead of just regular old people. Because I think David Spade's mother was one of the ones doing the pranks on there. Oh, really? Yep. Of course, Betty White didn't do any of the pranks. She was the wraparound segments. She'd interact with some of the the pranksters, but she would be too well-known to go out and do a hidden camera trick. Yeah, everybody knows who she is. So that's that's where she ended up at. But it was it was a very good show. I highly recommend it. But moving on, we've got casting news now as the rest of my entertainment news. The Hollywood Reporter shows us a barbarian breakout. Georgina Campbell joins Dakota Fanning and New Line supernatural thriller The Watchers. Ishana Knight Shyamalan, the daughter of the Sixth Sense filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan, is making her directorial debut with the feature. I'm trying to see. There was there was a Watchers movie done years ago based on a Dean Koontz novel. And this is based on a novel by A.M. Shine and adapted by Ishana Knight Shyamalan. The story follows an artist played by Fanning named Mina who gets stranded in an expansive, untouched forest in Western Ireland. When Mina finds shelter, she unknowingly becomes trapped alongside three strangers who are watched and stalked by mysterious creatures each night. Campbell will play one of the three strangers. Project designed a summer shoot in Ireland with a theatrical release scheduled for June 7th, 2024. So I'll I'll give it a shot. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but With Dakota Fanning, I am interested because that was a good little actress there. Yes. Next up is some casting information that I think Paul will be interested in. This is from IGN.com. Transformers 1 animated movie casts Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, and more. Transformers really? 1, the first animated Transformers film in over 40 years, has added Chris Hemsworth as a young Optimus Prime, Brian Tyree Henry, a young Megatron, Scarlett Johansson as Alita, and more. Transformers 1, which will be released in theaters on July 19, 2024, is directed by Toy Story 4's Josh Cooley and will serve as a prequel film of sorts about younger versions of Optimus Prime and Megatron. Joining the previously mentioned cast members will also be Keegan-Michael Key as Bumblebee, John Hamm as Sentinel Prime, 
and Lawrence Fishburne as Alpha Trion. That's a lot so, of A-listers. Yep. And let's face it, Transformers the movie, way, way, way back in the 80s, the voice of Unicron was Orson Welles. Oh, really? Nothing and that. you don't get much more A-list than Orson Welles, let's face it. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the last things he did. And, of course, it mentions that Transformers Rise of the Beast will be released in theaters on June 9th, 2023. And, finally, another animated film that we've got casting news for. This is from ScreenRant.com. Justice League War World casts Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and more. And if you don't know War World, it is Mongols' world where you have people battling to the finish. As every day there's a battle in in the arena. The the cast of Justice League War World is um. Jensen Ackles as Batman. Of really? Natural fame. Darren Chris from Glee will be Superman. Stana Kedic is Diana Prince and Wonder Woman. Ike Amadi is Martian Manhunter. Troy Baker is Jonah Hex. Matt Bomer, who I love, is Old Man, and I don't know anything about the character Old Man. Roger Seacross as Machiste, Machiste, M-A-C-H-I-S-T-E. Britt Dalton from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be Batlash. Trevor Duvall will be Drifter. John DiMaggio as Lobo. Robin Atkin Downs as Mongol. Frank Grillo as Agent Faraday. Frank Grillo, of course, has been in Marvel and will now be in DC Comics movies. Rachel Kimsey as Mariah Romanova. David Lodge as Sheriff, Damian O'Hare as Deimos, and Teddy Sears as Warlord. So again, quite an impressive cast, especially for a straight-to-video release. Yeah. And this is not Jensen Ackles' first foray into DC animation, because he was the Red Hood in Batman Under the Red Hood. Which was a really, really, really good animated film. But that's all the news that I had. Did you have anything you wanted to add to it? <clears throat> no, not too much, no. Well, with that, we've got two notable passings that I wanted to talk about this week. First up from People Magazine, Tim Bachman of Bachman Turner Overdrive dies at 71. The Bachman-Turner Overdrive co-founding guitarist and vocalist died three months after his brother, Robbie Bachman. Tim Bachman, a co-founding guitarist and vocalist of Bachman-Turner Overdrive, has died. People can confirm he was 71. Uh, Tim's son, Paxton Bachman, said in a Facebook post on Friday that his father, who originally played in BTO from 1973 until 1974, before reuniting with the group a decade later, died following complications with cancer, quote, throughout his brain. That had to be horrible. Oh, it's a horrible death. So, I just cannot even imagine what that would be like. And I don't want to ever experience it. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And of course, the other 
notable passing that we have to talk about is Jerry Springer. Passed away at the age of 79 from battle pancreatic cancer. I was never a fan of his talk show. I absolutely hated it. The only things that I can really say that I enjoyed with him in it were there was an episode of Nightman where he guest starred and he was in an episode of The X-Files, which was a fantastic episode of The X-Files. When I heard about it... The when, when I heard about it at work, I picked up my chair at my desk and I threw it. That's Geraldo. <laughs> you don't remember them getting the fights on Jerry Springer show? Yeah, and the thing that I never understood with that show is people are fighting on the stage. Jerry's standing off to the side away from everything. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Why? He's not doing anything. You got the people on stage going at it, not Jerry. Jerry's not jumping in there in the middle of it. Jerry's not fighting anybody. Jerry's not breaking it up. Why that, are we chanting Jerry's name? You had, you had that bald-headed dude, which was his, I guess, his, uh, his uh, security detail and jump onto the stage and break them apart. Well, they give three topics for his shows. They are trick or cheaters, confront this dominatrix, and lesbians come clean. So that tells you the kind of trash talk show this was. And that's all it was. It was pure trash. And of course, infamously, it was accused of making up stories. And I believe that they either they unknowingly made them up or they willingly made them up. But they definitely made them up. So surprising. You know what I do whenever there's some celebrity like that dies? You know how much uh, he's worth? How much? 60 mil. I'm not surprised because his show. Like, you know, it's probably still in syndication, isn't it? Well, it's, I know it streams on Nosy. It's, it's, it's syndicated so. then. Because <clears throat> for those who don't know, Nosy is the app for all the crap talk shows that have come along. Not the good ones. I wonder if Jenny Jones is on there. Let me, let me pull up Nosy and we'll see. Nosy Home. Let's go there. There's a whole category for Jerry Springer show on Google under Nosy Home. So that tells you a little bit about it. Um, Recently added talk show. Here we go. Talk shows. Let's click on this link. You've got Steve Harvey show, Karamo, Maury, Jerry Springer, Uh, change with Ed Milet, Trisha, Steve Wilkos, and Sally. Oh, Sally Jesse Raphael. Wow. So they do have Sally Jesse on there. You know, back in the but, day, whenever um, 
What's the one I just got through talking about? Jenny Jones, was that it? Yeah, the About Face boot camp that she sent the kids to on her show with Sergeant Paul was right here across from my house, a mile and a half down that dirt road. And they would sit, those kids would come marching by our house, by my house here, every day in the middle of the heat about one o'clock. And that's where Jenny Jones uh, sent the kids, the misbehaving kids, over to the About Face boot camp. And it's, like I said, it's about a mile and a half from my house. <clears throat> and I thought that was pretty cool. And that Sergeant Paul lived in Newton to run it. You know, it, it was it was basically Ricky Lake hosted by a man. But you know whose show I did enjoy back in the day? Charles Perez show. And he was a producer on Ricky Lake before he got his own show. And if you watched MTV's The Real World, he appeared in at least one episode as Norman's boyfriend on The Real World. Oh, really? Yep. But the, the thing that got me was Charles Perez hosting a talk show like that, and they would not discuss... <sighs> would not let him admit to being gay. Huh. I was like, wouldn't that boost the ratings for a show like that? Why would you not allow that to get out? Well, I guess Charles Perez is now 60 years old, according to Google. Well, I guess back Books. then it's still considerable with gay. He did write the book Confessions of a Gay Anchorman. The the show ran from 94 to 96, I believe it said. Yeah, 1994 to 1996. And he was on American Journal from 1993 to 1998. I mean, it really was the Ricky Lake formula on his show, but I enjoyed it. It was one of the few talk shows that I did seek out of that type. The one talk show that I really enjoyed was the Rosie O'Donnell show. I loved that one. See, I was never a Rosie fan. Her she'd have on Caroline Ray with her. I really liked that show. Which I, I told Paul about it. I've Just real quick, I'm going to mention it. The, I've been going through old tapes and such that I have. And one of the talk shows that I love absolutely loved because I love her is the Bonnie Hunt show. And I've been finding some of those that I've recorded so far. I've got two posted on my YouTube channel, which if you go to my Facebook page, if you know me, or if you go to my Twitter, which is Chris underscore H 71 on Twitter, all lowercase letters, Chris, the little underline, the number seven and the number one, that's my Twitter handle. You can see the links on, on there to go to my my YouTube page, but the uh, the one Bonnie Hunt show that I had, it's actually so far the thing that's been watched more than anything else I've put on there. In just a few days of posting it, I've had over 70 views on that show alone. Well, that's and cool. Brendan Fraser was the guest on it. I was, I was surprised that that one was the, the one that really hit. And um, the other one that I have is 
Bob Barker on the Bonnie Hunt show. And then the the show that was dethroned is my most watched show. And Bonnie Hunt and Brendan Fraser dethroned it pretty quickly, I gotta say. But that had the politically incorrect with Bill Maher episode on there. <clears throat> and it had Sophie B. Hawkins, Clive Barker, Will Schreiner, I think, and some Christian conservative activist. And of course, Sophie B. Hawkins and Clive Barker both out. She's a musician. He's a, a horror writer. And that one was getting a ton of views. And I shared it, tagging Sophie B. Hawkins and Clive Barker in it, expecting their fans to want to see it, which is why I tagged them in it. Sophie B. Hawkins liked it and retweeted it. I took a screenshot of her retweeting it and posted it on Facebook saying it always makes you feel good when a celebrity acknowledges you because like here I am some little meaningless person in the world compared to them and she took the time out of her day to notice what I had put on there and when I put that on Facebook I tagged her again to get her fans again to watch it if they wanted to see her on there which I highly suggest because she and Clive Barker really do put it to that Christian conservative lady and but when I posted on Facebook about it, Sophie B. Hawkins liked that post. So I was like, I gotta Please give Sophie. Think you're a stalker. You need to. You need to watch. I'm it. not a stalker. I posted for her fans to see what she was in in the past, and she noticed it and acknowledged it and then liked it. I I appreciate Sophie B. appreciating me. That's all I'm saying. It was a nice thing that she did because she did retweet it and that one had gotten 50 some views whereas the Bonnie Hunt with Brendan Fraser has now gotten over 70 views. And But I've today I added an Oprah Winfrey show on there and that one, I expected people to start watching it more because of who's on it, but it's, it's not taking off as fast as I thought it would. It's Oprah Winfrey in Las Vegas at Caesar's Palace. The guests, Cher and Tina Turner. Oh, that should be a good. Yeah. So, I like I said, I'm not making original content on there. I'm just going back and recording what I recorded years ago and uploading it to YouTube because there's I've got a lot of interesting stuff. The things that I did find, I. I posted full episodes of Late Show with David Letterman. They were on there for a day before they were taken down due to copyright. So then I pulled an interview out of them. And if I take just the interview and not the full show, it lets me post. But I can't post the whole episode. Now, Bonnie Hunt lets me post the whole episode. Oprah let me post the whole episode. Because clearly, I don't own the rights to those shows. I've just recorded them and posted them on there. So that people can actually see them if they want because they may not have ever seen them or may not have gotten to see them in many years and want to see them again kind of thing and the the one that i cannot post anything from because i tried a full episode i tried an interview both of them were blocked due to copyright ellen degeneres show yeah ellen will not let me post anything on it of course not 
So, because she her show is her show is still posting stuff on TikTok. Yeah, well, I mean, I I'm not faulting her for keeping her stuff, but by the same token, everybody else is letting me post that I'm posting. Yeah, but at least Sophie, part of it. I looked up Sophie B. I guess how much her net worth is. Probably not a lot because she didn't have the biggest hits. She had a couple of hits, and as I lay me down, it was a great song. Loved it. That and damn, I wish I was lover were the two. So I would say six hundred thousand. Four million. Really? Good for you, Sophie. You're doing better than I thought. So yep. there you go. Four million dollars. But but anyways, like I said. I just I wanted people to know that Sophie B is obviously a really cool lady to take the time out to acknowledge somebody who acknowledged her. So I, I definitely and if you if you have not seen that politically incorrect, I really do recommend it because it's a very good discussion and it's a time capsule because this is from the nineties. Okay, and it shows how far we've come and how far we have to go for gay rights equality. There's a reason why Ellen DeGeneres wouldn't let you post anything. What? Well, Sophie B. Hawkins is four million dollars. She's like, okay, any kind of you know advertisement is going to be good. Well, Sophie B. Hawkins doesn't have any claim over that show. <clears throat> what I'm saying is, Bill Barr and ABC. Ellen DeGeneres is worth four hundred and ninety million dollars. Well, she can afford to let people post. Look at Oprah. I guarantee you, Oprah. Yeah, she's worth over a billion dollars. So, but I can post the full Oprah show with Cher and Tina Turner. Like that's a ratings getter for Oprah. No matter what you say about anybody there, whether you like Oprah or not, Oprah with Cher and Tina Turner is a ratings getter. Guess how much Oprah Winfrey's worth? One point five billion. Try three point two billion. Hell, good for you, Oprah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but no, and the other thing that I posted, I posted A and E's biography of Linda Carter. I posted A and E's biography of Johnny Depp, and then I tried to post A and E's biography on Marilyn Monroe. Linda Carter and Johnny Depp, they let post. They block Marilyn Monroe. So I'm guessing it's the Marilyn Monroe estate. But yet, I was able to post other two other shows with Marilyn Monroe that I recorded off of there. And they posted just fine. So, because it says this has a copyright, but the owner allows it to be posted. Yeah. So, but anyways, we'll be back. Paul, what was it that you watched today that you're going to talk about? It's um, the food that made America. And I alone am going to review the estate because Paul, instead of watching it, decided to watch Jurassic Park for like the 10 millionth time because he hasn't seen it enough. Couldn't take time out of his busy schedule to watch an hour and a half movie, but could watch a 25, 30-year-old film that he's seen 10 million times that lasts two and a half hours. But listen, but listen, listen, I was listening to it with my, I, uh, my Apple earpod pros 
which has very deep bass going on in it, which I've not heard Jurassic Park like in a theater type setting until this past weekend because those sound like you're sitting in a movie theater with all the bass and all the crisp highs with you're wearing them. It was actually freaking phenomenal watching that movie because you could hear the bass of the footsteps of the um, of the tyrannosaurs that's walking up. And I haven't heard that in a year because watching it on regular television, I just have a regular on tube television. You can't hear the bass reverberations of those footsteps. Yeah. Paul's TV has got all the way up to 1975. It's top of the line technology there at the Paul Hill household. So I watch anything that I stream, I watch it on my iPad 8. So, anyways. You know, you just not, not saying that you have to do it that way. You can always get a Roku box to connect to your old TV and stream. It'll connect to my old TV? Yeah. Yeah, Roku's you get the box, and it's like a DVD player that you can connect to your TV. Oh, because, I mean, it's the rounded tube television. Yeah. I've, I've got some somewhere that, I mean, if I, if I can find one of the old ones, I'll let you have it. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to break. Okay, so. We'll be back. Those two reviews and the top 10 movies. Stay tuned, everybody. Welcome back. First up, let's do the top 10 films of the weekend. Actually, I'm going to do the top 11 because it surprises me that the one in number 11 didn't debut higher. But Debuting at number 11 on 3,054 screens, big performing the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. First weekend brought in $3,982 per screen. I really would have thought that would have done higher than that in its opening weekend. Debuting at number two, 10 is Sisu, $3.3 million in its first weekend. Dropping from 3 to 9 is The Covenant. Almost 3.6 million in its second weekend for 12 and a quarter million so far. Debuting at number eight, Punian Selvin Part Two, 3.8 million in its opening weekend on 600 screens. Down from six to seven is Air, just over 4 million in its fourth weekend for over 47.6 million dollars so far. Down from five to six is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which hits. Digital tomorrow as we record this. Really? Weekend for 88 and a quarter million so far. Down from four to five is John Wick Chapter Four. Over 4.8 million in its sixth weekend for over 176 million total. Debuting at number four is the re release for the 40th anniversary. Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Ooh. $5,100,654 on 475 screens. What? How does, how does that strike you that this per screen average of a 40-year-old film made $10,738? 
Nothing else touches it. Oh, wait. Wow. Down here, the Eight Mountains debuted at number 26 on two screens, $25,000 per screen. But to put it in perspective, the number one movie of the weekend brought in $9,713 average per screen. We'll get to that. <sighs> Debuting at number three, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Almost six and three quarter million dollars in its opening weekend. Holding at number two for a second week, Evil Dead Rise, $12,131,173 for a total of $44,347,368. And still holding the number one spot for the fourth weekend in a row, the Super Mario Brothers movie brought in $40,835,805 on 4,204 theaters. The grand total so far in the U.S., $490,000,630. Give me the world, Bob. The screen's still at number 20, screen six. Poor Shazam, Fury of the Gods is down to number 29. Seven-week total, $57,633,858. And I'm pulling up the worldwide. International, $75.4 million. Worldwide, $133,033,858. Comparatively, I want to see how Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did. Domestic, $212,972,431 on a terrible film. International, $261,595,984 for a worldwide take of $474,568,415. That's not too shabby. And it was bad. Like, I wanted to love Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I loved the first two. Quantum Mania was just bad, plain and simple, bad. And Shazam, a great movie, did terrible. I don't get it. <clears throat> Proves my theory that no matter what DC does, people hate it. Because I don't know if you've seen any of it, but back when the Snyder movies were coming out, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Justice League, well, Justice League was no longer Zack Snyder at that point, but all those films that were under Zack Snyder, people were trashing at the time of release. Now that's all they want is the Snyderverse back. Because it's gone. It's not coming back. And I thought Batman versus Superman did good at the box office. It did, but people dogged it. I mean, it didn't do great. It didn't do Marvel numbers good. And it was... Pre COVID. Let me see. Pulling it up here real quick. Batman v Superman in 2016, domestic $330,360,194. International $543,277,334 for a worldwide gross of $873,637,528. That's pretty good. Not really compared to Marvel and the money that it could have made. 
And I'm looking it up on Rotten Tomatoes real quick just to see where it falls. Tomato meter, 430, 29%. Audience score over 100,000 ratings, 63%. I don't get it. It's a good movie. Now I'm going to pull up Ant-Man and the Wasp on Rotten Tomatoes. Just out of curiosity, the tomato meter with 383 reviews is higher than Batman v Superman, 47%. Audience score with 10,000 verified ratings, 83%. Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Tomato meter is actually better than Ant-Man and the Wasp. 237 reviews, 49% on the tomato meter, 2,500 verified ratings, 86%. And yet, it's doing nothing at the box office. I still don't understand how that damn Mario movie is... I don't get it. I don't I don't get it. Well, I get the answer from me, because I've seen it's video games... It's got to be... That movie's got to be over a billion dollars worldwide now. I didn't pull it up, but don't don't even do it. I'll just get sick. But with that, we will move on, and Paul will talk about his show that he watched on the History Channel today, which actually does sound kind of interesting. But I did not see it, so I can't comment. It's the Food That Built America episode seven of season three that he watched. It's called The Beef Is On. On IMDb, it sits with a rating of 8.4 out of 10, and I think that is for the series, 37 reviews. So the series has gotten good reviews from people who have reviewed it. Paul, take it away. Well, this starts off way, way back in the day, before Wendy's was on the planet. And um, there was a small company called Kentucky Fried Chicken that was out. It wasn't um, wasn't uh, like a chain store yet. People it may have heard of a restaurant. I don't, you uh, may have to explain that one for the masses out there. I don't know how many people have actually heard of Kentucky Fried Chicken. They may know KFC. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken KFC is a uh, believe it or not. Back then, what I could understand of watching this, Kentucky Fried Chicken was something that you would refer to as, you know, going to get a Coca-Cola. Even though you weren't getting a Coca-Cola, you were getting Kentucky Fried Chicken. They can they referred to a lot of chicken as Kentucky Fried Chicken until these restaurants in Columbus, Ohio, there was three restaurants opened in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, there's a gentleman and owned them uh, that had bought them, and his name was Dave Thomas. And he started designing these three restaurants to have the same storefronts, um, making Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he um, he's the one that made all the buildings red and white. And he come out with the Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket. Um, for He's the one that designed the bucket for the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, keep in mind, Dave Thomas, if you recognize that name, He's famous for Wendy's. So what happened was these two guys came in and was really 
interested in um, the way Kentucky Fried Chicken was being ran, and they weren't. They was wanting to come in and buy it and turn it into a world restaurant chain. And Dave Thomas didn't want to do that, but they ended up finagling him and wrangling him in. And then they started turning KFC into one of the world's most recognized brands of restaurants out there. Well, they ended up swindling Dave Thomas out of his shares of KFC, which ticked off Dave Thomas. He took his money that they, that they basically gave him $50,000 for his shares knowing damn good and well back then that month that was worth $2.8 million. And that was back in the sixties. So that in today's money, that'd have been like well over $30 million. So anyways, so he took his $50,000 and his life savings and he wanted, you know, he's going up against the big boys. Like, um, uh, there was already Burger King was already out. You know, they had a gimmick. Everything, Everybody had a gimmick. There's the Whopper, home of the Whopper. Um, McDonald's had the Big Mac. Uh, there's all sorts of other burger places out there. But everybody was f- serving frozen hamburger patties and cooking them. He wanted to do something different. He wanted to have um, a fresh ingredients, fresh tomato, fresh onions, everything like that a fresh brioche bun, and he wanted to have fresh hamburger meat, not frozen, cooked on the grill and done in squares because instead of being round patties, they said that you could put more of the hamburgers cooked on the grill fresh, squares lined up with each other back to back, and you can cook more that way, which they showed on the show that you can. So he ended up selling his burgers for three times the price of what it normally should have been, and people came and bought them. And he ended up having the famous Dave Single. So that's where the Dave Single came from, was, was him. And um, he, ended, he ended up creating the Frosty back then, too. It wasn't quite a milkshake. It wasn't quite ice cream. It was in between. And now um, it, it just showed how he just kept evolving Wendy's. And it's right now a worldwide company worth $3 billion. So, uh, and then KFC is a worldwide company now worth $3 billion as well. So it's both neck and neck. But KFC at one point did have the number one restaurant chain in the world. It passed McDonald's at one point. But they, they've scaled them back now since then. So, you know, McDonald's is now the number one. Actually, um, I watched, went on to watch another episode. Would you believe that Taco Bell has more locations than McDonald's does? Well, I, you know, Taco Bell has two in Morganton and McDonald's has one. So, yep, there's yeah. more locations in Taco Bell than there are more. And then also now worldwide, Guess who has the who? It's more than Taco Bell and McDonald's. Now that I remember this, what going on and watching it, Subway is the number one. Subway is the number one restaurant in the world. So, it's actually pretty cool watching that. I I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know was going on behind the scenes. It was actually really really interesting. 
I'm trying to think of uh, the sub place. Quiznos. Does does Quiznos still exist? Quiznos does. Um, Blimpies was actually the was the United States first sub shop. There's a chain restaurant. Um, they were more popular up north, and the guys uh, from down this way started the subway shop, and they wanted to give competition to Blimpies. And Blimpy's slogan was mm 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 toasty. So they had a signature sandwich. And also, um, to this day, it's the number one selling sandwich for Subway. It's the Italian BMT. It's still in the lineup. And that was their go-to sandwich for people to come. The, that was what they became famous for was the Italian BMT. Um, I will <laughs> say one of my favorite sub shops is Substation 2. Oh, yes. Substation 2 is the bomb. But, but about the episode to review, I, I did want to point out a few things. I, I was looking through the cast. Dave Thomas, of course, in archive footage, and then they have, apparently they had reenactments, I'm guessing, because they have somebody playing ben, Dave Thomas in it. I yeah. saw one, Adam Richmond, and I was like, is that Nicholas from 8 is Enough? Adam Rich was Nicholas on 8 is Enough. This was Adam Richmond. So not the Adam same Richmond is from uh, Man vs. Food on the Food Network. Well, it's also, I looked him up, he was um, All My Children or something that he was on, it said. The the narrator, though, you probably didn't recognize the voice. The narrator was Campbell Scott. Why is that name so familiar? He was in Singles. He was in Dying Young with Julia Roberts. And He's the son of George C. Scott and Colleen Dewhurst. Oh, okay. So, but I've, I've liked Campbell Scott for a long time. and so. But this, this series also has, um, Chris, um, episodes of like Domino's versus Pizza Hut. Um, Orville Redenbacher again, you know, versus uh, Pop Secret. Um is showing how all these companies started evolving and, and making everyday's food today for America's households. It's actually pretty interesting. Well, I have to say that I go... And also, um, I watched a little bit of the episode for Kellogg. You was mentioning Kellogg. Kellogg was actually a gentleman who worked in a psychiatric ward um, for a hospital, and he's the very first person to develop... Um, a type of exercise called yoga for um, way back in the 1800s and um, for the psych ward to, to use on their patients. And did you know that back in the 1800s that breakfast did not exist? Back, the breakfast foods did not exist back in the 1800s. What you ate for breakfast was actually the leftovers from the night before from your dinner. That's what you ate the next morning for sub for breakfast. And it wasn't really called breakfast then. Um, it showed second Kellogg. Huh? Was it called second dinner? No, I don't I forget what they called it, but also Kellogg had a had a an employee that worked under him as an understudy and his name last name was Post. You know where this is going? Kellogg and Post. So yeah. uh, Kellogg Fruity Pebbles. Yeah, Kellogg ended up developing, he wanted to feed something to his patients that was healthy. He ended up developing what we what you would call um, granola. And he would feed that to his patients with milk for breakfast in the morning to give them a healthy start. 
well, Post ended up leaving and taking his ideas from Kellogg, and he ended up leaving um, there and created his own cereal, and he made it out of mashed up corn, and it was baked, and he's the one that came up with cornflakes. So um, it's kind of a spinoff from that, and Kellogg and Post, and coming up with Raisin Bran then, and... Um, uh, also, ke- Post was grape nuts. Post came out with grape nuts in response to granola, in which grape nuts are grape nuts are still around today. So, it's actually really, really interesting watching that. So, uh, you learned a lot about how breakfast started about, and due to Kellogg and Post, those have um, the most popular cereal brands on the face of the planet. And they're the ones who actually evolved the term breakfast. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I have some sad breaking news right now. Lamar just sent it to me. This, literally, the story posted on Variety about 30 minutes ago as we're recording this. Gordon Lightfoot, Canadian folk singer-songwriter, dies at 84. And I love me some Gordon Lightfoot, let me tell you. Lightfoot, that name sounds familiar. If you could read my mind. Oh, okay. The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. Light, Lightfoot's death was confirmed by his longtime agent, Victoria Lord. I'm trying to see if it says. Not seeing a cause of death yet. Well, it says after being in, diagnosed with emphysema in 2018, he quit smoking. So, unfortunately, that probably had a lot to do with it. But, you know, if you, for me, if I listen to the song The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, it really brings tears to my eyes listening to the actual lyrics because it's based on a true story. Yeah. He had a major way of telling a story with his songs and the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is not a short song. It goes on for quite a while, but it is a fantastic song. And of course his other really huge hit was sundown. So, I remember that song. I just I loved his music. I, I thought he was great, and he's one that we're definitely gonna. Miss. He's. I mean, what what can you say about him that is bad? I his his writing, his music, it was all great. Yeah. So, Another legend gone. How old was he, Chris? He was eighty four, I believe. It said yeah, eighty four years old. Wow. That All Monday evening at Sunbrook Hospital in Toronto. All these legends are dying. Yep. Two, 23 yeah. is gobbling up a lot of legends. And let me just say, anybody out there listening, if you do not know Gordon Lightfoot music, go listen to Gordon Lightfoot. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee you he was phenomenal. His voice was amazing. The lyrics were fantastic. 
and you could even hear some of his songs redone like if you get the the studio the 54 soundtrack i believe it was if you could read my mind it was redone in a dance version on there oh yeah so, i remember that i remember the dance version too but definitely check out his music pay homage to him a true talent that i mean you can't replace him they're there are very few people as talented as he was. So, hate to, to interrupt everything you were saying, but when I saw that news, I was like, "We gotta, we gotta no, talk." You're good, and it's perfectly understandable. You're good. But, but with that, we will go on to my review of the estate. First up, Metacritic gave it thirty-seven percent. IMDb. Had- 5.3 out of 10 with 2,900 reviews. Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter with 30 reviews has it 30%. Audience score with fewer than 50 verified ratings is 33%. And I think all those are very unfair. First off, the cast alone deserves mention because listen to this cast. My least favorite one in the cast is Anna Ferris. You have Tony Collette, who is amazing. David Duchovny. Rosemary DeWitt. Kathleen Turner. Ron Livingston, who you may not know, but know. Like if you watched Office Space, you know Ron Livingston. Um, the, the scenes, or the scene where they get the Aunt Hilda back together with her sister, Diane, one of the funniest things in the movie watching those two feuding. Um, David Duchovny is pure white trash in this movie, and he's <laughs> very funny. And I mean, he is trying to date his cousin. Like, that is his motivation. It's their cousins. Let's date. And Are they he, from West Virginia? No, no, not, I can't remember where they were from, but <coughs> Virginia, it didn't say. <laughs> I think he was living in Florida and had come back because Aunt Hilda was dying and everybody, I mean that's the story is everybody's trying to get on Aunt Hilda's good side to win the estate and I mean the some of the things they get into I won't point them out because it is a spoiler and they're comical as you go along but Yes, I do love Tony Collette and David Duchovny, so that was my instant, I've got to watch this movie. But I laughed several points in this film. Like I said, the best scene is putting Hilda and Diane back together because that was comedy gold right there. David Duchovny wearing his jumpsuits with the the woman mudflap picture. You know what I'm talking about with the, the two women back to back and the knees bent. Oh yeah, and, like they're all down his sleeves and everything. Uh, most of his outfits in the movie, if not all of his outfits in the movie, had on them. So it tells you what kind of white trash he is in this movie. But Tony Collette was more to me. She was the dramatic one in this one, whereas the others were more for the comedy. And it's not the funniest film you ever see. Would not have been a box office hit, but it's definitely something you should watch on Hulu. Like I said, just watch it for the scene where 
Diane and Hilda get reunited because it's hilarious. But it's really not, I mean, it's a, I think it's 90 minutes long and there's not a whole lot you can say without giving everything away. So, but it, I really enjoyed it. Good. And Paul could comment if he had actually watched it like he was supposed to. Well, I kind of forgot. I'm sorry. But you didn't forget to watch Jurassic Park for the umpteenth million time. Oh, Jesus Christ. Here we go. Exactly. Here we go. But anyways, the the foods that built America are on the History Channel and the estate is on uh, Hulu. It's a Fox original film on Hulu. Which do they even intend to release any Fox films in theaters anymore, or are they just going to throw those on Hulu? Do you know? I have no idea. Let's let's look this up real quick. Uh, according to Google, Disney's 20th Century Studios will hardly release anything in theaters, and that's a real shame. Disney provided the media world with one of its biggest shakeups in years when it closed a deal to acquire most of Fox's media assets back in 2019 for more than $71 billion. And that quote is from SlashFilm.com. So it's basically they bought some of their competition and shelved them. Yep. Now, when you look back at some of the films Fox has put out, there's some good stuff in there, including yeah. a lot of Marilyn Monroe films. So, but anyways, with that, I believe we are finished. Do you have any final words, Paul? No. <laughs> right to it. Don't my hold anything. Are just, my allergies are getting the best of me right now, so I'm sorry. Uh, I took a couple bit of drill last night. And I've been taking my Walmart brand of Claritin every day for a couple months now, so I know your pain. But, and I don't know what's coming up. It's a new month, all kinds of new stuff coming on, so we'll play it by ear as to what we'll be watching next week, so we'll just let y'all know later. So until then, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.